Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. Well, in the past couple of weeks, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I've been preaching some pretty basic stuff. Amen? And we learned, for example, that it's important that we meet together in person as a church body. And we learned it's not beneficial for us to miss a lot of church. We also learned the importance of tithing and stewardship. How many knows everything that we have doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the Lord, and he's entrusted us with it. And last week, we learned that we all have a part to play in the church. Everybody has a job, big and small. It doesn't make any difference. We all have something to do, and we all have what's called the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we're to go out and be a good witness, and we are to tell people that God is not mad at them, amen, that God loves them, and he sent his son to die for them. And that's everybody's ministry. If you're a Christian, that's your ministry. And uh, we know that there's a harvest field out there, and the Lord said that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. So we discussed being a laborer, being a good witness for the Lord. And uh, we also learned how to get somebody born again and born into the kingdom of God. And uh, it all boils down to this. Uh, It's basic stuff, but what I'm basically doing is teaching you how to be a good Christian. A good Christian, a Christ I am. That's what Christian means. It's Christ, it means Christ-like. It means that I'm going to be like Christ. And so I'm trying to teach us how to be a good Christian. And uh, this morning I want to talk to you about faithfulness because none of those things that we've been learning will work unless you're faithful in doing them. You have to demonstrate some faithfulness before God uh, moves and changes things for you. And uh, you have to be faithful with church attendance, faithful in being a good witness, faithful in your giving, faithful in uh, just being faithful. And I believe that being faithful is probably the most important aspect of being a Christian because this whole thing is all about faith, right? And faithful means full of faith. And faithfulness means that you demonstrate the faith that you have, the faith that you're full of. So We're going to look at something that we're all familiar with uh, because I've taught on it before. And, uh, you know, sometimes I repeat things more than once. And I'm not senile yet. It's not because I forget what I say. Uh, Actually, if I thought that you heard it the first time, I probably wouldn't repeat it. (laughs) But things have to be repeated because that's the way we are. We need to hear them more than once. And So we're going to look this morning at the parable of the talents. It's in Matthew and it's also in Luke, but we're going to look at Matthew's account in chapter 25. And in the parable of the talents, although it talks about kingdom principles, it's a kingdom parable, and it talks about investing in the kingdom of God, among other things, the central theme of the entire parable is faithfulness. And that's the one thing that we have to remember as we go through this parable is it is talking about faithfulness, and that is the central theme of it. So let's begin reading in Matthew 25, verse 14. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. 
a hundredfold return. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Now, Lucicon of this parable said that I will make you ruler over ten cities. So there's authority in these talents as well and what you do with them. Uh, you're rewarded with authority. And he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. And then verse 22 says, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. Another hundredfold return. Even though one uh, made five and the other made two, they were both 100%, a hundredfold return. And uh, he, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. And Luke, again, he said, ruler over five cities. He says, enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered him and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be uh, gnashing, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, this parable is talking about the kingdom of God. And... Uh, the kingdom means the king's domain or what God has dominion over. Uh, in type, the man that went on the journey represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The far country he traveled to represents heaven. The servants represent believers like you and I that were left behind to grow and enhance the kingdom of God, to bring profit to the kingdom of God with the talents or the opportunities or the authority that the Lord gave, him, gave them before he went on his journey. But the main purpose of this entire parable is to test their faithfulness in their participation in the kingdom of God, or in the body of believers, the church. And so the talents, like I said, represent many things. He mentioned them as money. Uh, Luke talks about silver, talents of silver, and... Uh, he also talks about giving the person with the five talents five cities to rule over, the one with the ten talents, ten, ten cities to rule over. So they also represent authority. And so uh, uh, they, they not only represent that, but in type they represent uh, all the resources that are at our disposal that were put on loan to us from the Lord as stewards, uh, all the resources that we have to grow the kingdom of God. And how well we use them, how faithful we are in using them. And uh, according to the parable, like I said, these things don't belong to us. Nothing belongs to us. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness. Everything in it belongs to the Lord. And if you happen to be enjoying some of it, it's because it's on loan to you. Take good care of it. Amen. And so uh, he gave five talents to one servant, two talents to another, one talent to the last servant. And he said, all according to their several ability. In other words, he didn't give them anything that they couldn't handle. He gave five talents to the one guy because he knew that guy was capable of handling five talents. In other words, he gave him more responsibility because he was capable of handling it. And the guy with two talents, he knew that he could handle the two talents. The guy with the one talent, he also knew that he could have handled that one talent if he wanted to. If he tried, uh, the Lord is fair. And you might say, well, he gave the one uh, with the ten talents, the one that the one had. How's that fair? Well, because he knew he would do something with it. And the lazy servant already proved he wouldn't do nothing with it. So it's fair. God is fair. 
Matter of fact, say this with me. God is fair. God is always fair. Always remember that whenever you're reading the word and it doesn't sound like God's fair, remind yourself God is always fair. Amen. But anyway, after a while, the master returns and these servants had to give an account for what they did with what he entrusted them with. And our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to return one day and probably sooner than we think. And we're going to have to give an account to him what we did with our talents that he entrusted us with and our abilities and our resources and the opportunities that he gave us to grow and enhance the kingdom. We're going to give an account for that. Amen. And, uh, you know, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? We don't want to hear wicked and lazy servant. And so uh, in order to hear that, we have to be faithful. We have to do something with what he's given us. So according to the parable, we're going to be rewarded based not on what we accomplished or how much we accomplished, but whatever he gave us to do, he's going to be rewarding us based on how faithful we were in performing those duties and performing what he gave us to do, how profitable we were. And what does it mean to be faithful? Well, faithful means to be trustworthy or worthy of trust. You know, you have to be trustworthy. Uh, In order for me to call you faithful, I have to know that you're you're worthy of trust. You're trustworthy. You're reliable. I have to know that I can count on you every time. Amen? And if I can count on you every time and I know you'll be where you're supposed to be and when you're supposed to be, uh, and when you're supposed to be there, then I know that I can trust you. You're trustworthy. I know I can rely on you. I can take it to the bank when you tell me something. Amen? I mean, is the Lord like that? Absolutely. You can count on him. He's faithful. He's reliable. And you might think, well, all I do is clean toilets, or all he gave me was one talent. But you know what? Uh, He knew what he was doing. And it's not the job that you're doing or how big or small the responsibility is. It's how faithful you were in doing it. And if you're responsible and you're faithful in doing that which is least, he'll trust you with that which is more. And he'll give you another talent next time. And if you're faithful with that and trustworthy and reliable, then he'll give you another talent. And he'll give you more and more responsibility because uh, the ones that aren't responsible, he's going to take their talent and give it to you. Why? Because he wants to be mean or unfair? No, because he knows that you will do something with the talent. Amen. He's not into big jobs, little jobs. He's into faithfulness. He wants to know if you're going to be faithful with what you have. And you might say, well, uh, the one that had the five talents and the one that had the two talents uh, really didn't receive the same reward because one got five and one got two. Yeah, but that's what he gave him to work with. But they did receive the same reward because he said the same thing to both of them. And that's why I say it doesn't matter the job. It's how faithful you were in doing what he gave you to do. And if you're faithful, that's what's going to be judged. That's what's going to be rewarded. Hallelujah. Now, the last servant, that little rascal, didn't do anything with the one talent he was entrusted with. On the surface, it would seem like the Lord was pretty hard on him. He wasn't fair to him, but that's not true. He was fair to him. And there's a lot of speculation as to why he didn't do anything with his talent to one servant. But the Lord told us plainly why he buried his talent and uh, rather than do something with it. So we're not going to speculate about anything. He buried his talent because he was afraid. And then, as an excuse, he makes up this lie and judged the Lord. He judged his master And he said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, we didn't read that anywhere. He said it. Yeah, we read where he said it, but that wasn't true about the Lord, is it? The Lord's not a hard man. He doesn't doesn't gather where he hasn't scattered. He sows and reaps just like we sow and reap. Amen? And so... He made excuses for not doing anything with the talent that the Lord gave him. But the real reason he didn't do anything is because, like I said, fear. He was afraid. 
And uh, he had this hyped up stuff in his head that the Lord was hard and the Lord was going to be hard on him. Well, the Lord was hard on him, but it, it, it wasn't because he was unfair. It was because the guy with the one servant didn't trust him, didn't trust the Lord, and didn't try to do anything with it. He just buried it. He figured it would be good enough for me to just, you ought to be happy I didn't lose it. Here's what you gave me. But the Lord wasn't happy about that, was he? But anyway, there was a lot of regret for what he did, and that's why I said there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's another way of saying that he regretted not doing anything. He's in outer darkness. Uh, he's not in hell. He's in outer darkness. I don't know exactly where that's at, but it's far from the light. And he's weeping, and he's gnashing his teeth. In other words, he's in great regret, having not done anything with what the Lord gave him, having not trusted the Lord. And I got to ask you, is there anything you regret not having done in your life? I know there's things I regret not having done, and now I know that it's too late. And that's what makes you regret. That's what makes you weep and gnash your teeth, as the Bible says. It's because you knew you had an opportunity to do something, and you let that opportunity pass you by. Whether it was in the church, the kingdom of God, out in the world, in the workplace, you missed an opportunity that you knew you could have capitalized on, you could have brought profit from, and you didn't. And now there's great regret because of it. And I can guarantee you that whatever it was, the reason you missed that opportunity more times than not is because of fear, the same reason he missed his opportunity. Uh, you were afraid to go back to school. You were afraid to start a new career. You were afraid to take a promotion that would bring you a raise. You were afraid to try a new relationship, and all because of fear. And fear will paralyze your faith and keep you from doing anything. Fear will cause you to bury your opportunity or bury your talent. And, I mean, how many want to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I know I want to hear him say that, but how many knows he's not going to say it unless you did do well? Amen. And that's something we don't see in this society, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Because I've been pretty good lately, and I think I deserve to be able to meddle a little bit today. <laughs> but, uh, again, you'll never hear well done, not from the Lord, unless you did a good job, unless you did something well. And you shouldn't hear it either, right? I mean, if the Lord is fair, he's not going to tell you you did a good job when you didn't. And there's a, there's a myriad of reasons for that because, number one, you'll never correct yourself. You'll never improve on the job. You'll just keep doing it the same and, and never do anything better. So he's going to tell you if you did a good job or not. Look at the chapter 3 of Revelation at, at what he did and said to the seven churches. But he's fair. Amen? Say, he's fair. he's fair. See, you have to deserve it and you have to earn it or the Lord's not going to say it. And parents shouldn't say it. And school teachers shouldn't say it. And your boss shouldn't say it unless it was a job well done. And one day, like I said, you're going to find yourself standing in front of the judgment seat of Christ all by yourself, all alone. No one to lean on, no one to blame for what you did or didn't do, and there will be no one to point your finger at, alone. And Jesus said we're going to be held responsible for what we did as a member of the body of Christ while we were here on the earth. And we should be responsible for what we did, and we should be responsible for what we didn't do. Uh, I mean... Am I thinking wrong? Is that, um, do you think that we should be responsible? Amen. I would have liked a bigger amen, but I'll take what I got. <laughs> or are you like the lazy servant and think that God isn't fair? I mean, if God tells you you did a bad job, <laughs> you don't just say, what are you talking about? I did a good job. God knows if you did a good job or not. Amen. If he hands you a broom and says sweep, you better sweep like you never swept before. Because if you don't, he's going to tell you you didn't do a good job. And you're going to have to go back and do it again. Because he's not going to get up off of it until, you, until he's satisfied with it. 
But we like the blame shift. We don't like to accept the responsibility or the blame for anything. And, uh, and no matter what the outcome is, it's not my fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the uh, principal's fault. It's the employer's fault. It's everybody's fault but yours. But let me tell you something. When you point a finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. Amen. There's where the fault is, where the three are pointing. The majority rules in this case. Hallelujah. Adam, did you eat the forbidden fruit? (laughs) He pointed to his wife, Eve, and he says, no, Lord, it's this woman that you gave me. She did give me, and I ate. It's her fault. It's your fault, because if you never gave her to me, I would never eat that fruit. Eve, did you eat the forbidden fruit? The serpent, he did beguile me. He made me eat it. It's his fault. It ain't my fault. But did you know a sure sign of spiritual maturity is when you can accept responsibility for what you did and accept responsibility for your faults instead of blame somebody else and point to somebody else? Just say, yep, I did it. I did it all by myself. It was my choice. I'm the one who stepped out and grabbed that fruit and ate it. Period. Don't make excuses. Repent. Amen? That's what the Lord's looking at, looking for. And we live in a generation that makes excuses for everything. You catch your kids red-handed with something. See how many excuses you get from them. And, And we're... We're brought up like that. You know, it's the Republicans' fault. It's the Democrats' Democrats' fault. It's the government's fault. My parents' fault. The teacher's fault. The the policeman's fault. It's everybody's fault, but it's my boss's fault. Everybody's fault but yours. Oh, wait a minute. I know. It's God's fault. If he wouldn't have made me, I would have never did it. I can show you whose fault it is real easy. Just look in the mirror. That's the little rascal that's causing all your problems. Nobody else, nothing else, the one you see in the mirror, that's the one that's causing all your problems. Amen? And, and, uh, you know, your life is the way it is because of choices that you made or didn't make. Your life is the way it is because of things that you did or didn't do. No matter who you're living with, who's around you, it's your fault. You are where you're at because of things that you did. It's you're where you're at because of things that you believed or didn't believe. Things that you acted on or didn't act on. Right here. And you know why we point? Because it's the easy way out. It's easier to point at someone else uh, uh, to accept the responsibility that you should be accepting uh, because... uh, It might hurt your feelings if you have to accept the responsibility. And you don't want to hurt your feelings. You'd rather hurt somebody else's feelings. Amen. And, you know, it doesn't make any difference what we go through. It's always for a reason. And sometimes even the bad things. I know we cause bad things to come upon ourselves with our flesh and bad choices and stuff like that. But God takes advantage of all these situations, and he always wants us to learn something from whatever it is we're going through, good or bad. And that's what we need to look for. Instead of complaining and pointing fingers and blame shifting, we should be saying, well, Lord, I'm in it now, and I'm sure it was my fault. But while I'm here, show me what I need to learn. I don't want to go through this again. Amen? And Pastor Rhett was alluding to that this morning. And... uh, You know, we've been through a rough couple of months. I ain't looking for no pity or anything. I'm using this as an illustration, you know, but physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And don't get me wrong, we had plenty of help, plenty of support, plenty of prayer, and we appreciate that. It it helped us get through, but it's actually God's faithfulness that brought us through. And he's always faithful. He said he'd never leave us or forsake us, and he didn't. He said he's the Lord that healeth us, and he did. He said by his stripes we were healed, and we were. And he was there for us. He's the God of all comfort and peace, and we had comfort and peace. No matter how bad it got, how rough it was, he was there. And we felt his presence. 
And why? Because he's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. And he can be counted on. He was there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's with us. He's always there. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. And sometimes faithfulness calls for sacrifice. And sometimes being faithful is inconvenient. Sometimes being faithful hurts. And we want to be overcomers, but we don't like overcoming anything. You can't be an overcomer if you don't overcome the things that get in your way. And there are things in this life that we have to overcome whether we like it or not. And when we make excuses for these things, rather than make the necessary adjustments, accept the responsibility, and overcome them, when we make excuses, then we wind up having to go right back through them again at a later date. All we're doing by blame shifting and not accepting responsibility and not changing and not overcoming is we're just postponing that thing for another day. And then it's going to hit you again. And if you don't get through it then or overcome it, you're going to go through it again. Look at the children of Israel. Forty years going around the same mountain. The same mountain for 40 years. Why? They never accepted responsibility and they never made the adjustments that were necessary to get them out of that wilderness. And, you know, uh, like I said, sometimes faithfulness hurts. Sometimes faithfulness uh, calls for us to sacrifice, but that shouldn't stop us from being faithful. The, I, I hate going here, but I got to, can't help myself. <laughs> but the children that are being raised in today's culture, and yesterday's culture as a matter of fact, are taught that there's no winners or losers, and there should be no competition because someone is going to get their feelings hurt. Because there's always somebody better somebody worse, and we don't want to damage their little psyche or hurt their little feelings, and so we're not going to keep score. There's going to be no winners, no losers. Just play and have fun. Well, we know the parents all keep score anyway. But they're taught that everyone should receive a trophy just for being there. Matter of fact, even when they ain't there, we're going to have a banquet, and everybody's going to get a trophy. But when they step into the real world, they quickly and painfully learn real fast that there are winners and losers, and the competition is fierce. And here's the problem. They don't know how to compete. They never learn to compete. And so they get their little feelings hurt, and they quit their job, and they look for a safe place. And it's usually in mom and daddy's basement. But, but they look for a safe place. Rather than make the necessary uh, changes, and I know this is not politically correct, but man up, woman up, and make the changes that need to be changed to make yourself a competitor and make yourself stronger and start overcoming these things. Yes, you'll be behind, but you can catch up. Amen? But they expect to be rewarded and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when they didn't do a good job and, and uh, they weren't faithful servants. But reality slaps them in the face so hard that it makes their mama's head turn. Amen. Why? Because they weren't prepared for it. We didn't prepare them for it. We patted them on the head and told them it's going to be all right. It's not going to be all right. So no participation trophies in the kingdom of God. No well dones in the kingdom of God unless you did well. Amen. And that's the way it should be. And that's, this is we have the word of God here to guide us. This parable tells us that you reward the ones that worked hard and took all the chances, and you don't reward the ones that didn't do anything. So keep score at those sporting events. 
and make sure your children know who won and who lost and why they won or why they lost. And when they hit that home run or make that goal or cross that finish line or whatever it is they're involved in, uh, make that free throw or whatever, make sure that you tell them they did a good job and that you're proud of them. Amen. And, and, and teach them that there's nothing wrong with being competitive. Because like I said, when they get out in the world, they're going to compete. And our education system, as long as I'm on it, is failing our children because of the no kid left behind policy. We've been graduating children from our high schools that can't solve a simple math problem, construct a sentence, spell correctly, or some of them can't even write cursive. And when they do write or print or partially print and write, you can't understand what they're saying. But they graduated from our high schools. And we send them out in the world like that. And then you have other kids that paid attention, worked hard, did their homework, studied, and can do all of those things, and they're passing them up. And the ones that can't do it are crying, unfair, unfair. Just like the lazy servant did. But how many knows it's fair? Yes. We can't tell our children they're doing a good job when they're not. And society is teaching our children that everyone should be treated the same. But that's not going to work in the kingdom of God and it's not going to work in heaven. Our society and our government is working this parable in reverse. They're actually working this parable in reverse, and they want to reward the lazy one and penalize the hard worker, the entrepreneur, the one that stepped out in faith and took all the risks. We'll punish him. We'll take the money from him through higher taxes, and we'll give it to the lazy servant who didn't do anything. If I'm lying, I'm flying. But if you're capable, now understand there's people ain't capable of working, injuries or handicaps or whatever. I understand that. But if you're capable of working, and God knows, then you shouldn't be collecting welfare. You should be working. As a matter of fact, God expects you to work. Paul said the one who is unwilling to work should not eat. And he also said those who won't care for their own household take care of their own bills, their own families. They have denied the true faith, and such people are worse than unbelievers. Matter of fact, the King James calls them infidels, which is basically an unbeliever of the highest degree. And there's no free rides in the kingdom of God. You'll be rewarded according to the, the amount of responsibility God gave you and how faithful you were in execu executing that responsibility. And I'm sorry, but that's the way it should be. Now, I'm going to knock over a sacred cow. Most people who don't know anything about the Bible or God think that we're going to all be equal in heaven and God is going to treat us all the same. And it's not true. It's a lie from the pit. Uh, God is fair. And that's exactly why everyone won't be treated the same in heaven. People think that all our little mansions will be, actually they think we'll all have the same kind of condo, same size, same furnishings, same landscaping as everybody else because God is fair. Well, if God is really fair, he won't do that. We're not all going to be equal. And some will have more and some will have less. And some people are going to have more responsibilities than others. And it will all be according to what we did with what we had while we were here on this earth. This is where we're being tested. This is where God is learning who can accept responsibility, who can't. Not only that, but how much responsibility. I can give you five talents. I can only give you two. I'm going to give you one, but I know you can handle it. Uh, 
I'm not going to give you any right now because I'm pointing at people, but don't take it personally. <laughs> because you're not ready for responsibility. And what should you do? Start crying and say, God ain't fair. He said I wasn't responsible. No, you should start making changes, adjustments, and get responsible. Say, Lord, I made these changes. I think I can handle that one talent now. And if you can only handle one, don't ask for five. Work your way up to the five. But do something. Keep moving. Amen? We're not all going to be equal. Let me ask you this. Is God a good, this is a, a question with an obvious answer, but it, it, would God be a good example of faithfulness? If I was looking for an example of faithfulness, could I look to God for that example? Absolutely. Everything you ever need to know about faithfulness is in him. He's our example for faithfulness. And, and can we trust him? Can we count on him? All the time, every time. Can we rely on him? Every time, without exception. What about the other way around? <laughs> that just slipped out. God has shown us by example what real faithfulness is. And we should follow that example. He's always there. Always. And this is the very beginning of a life of faithfulness. You have to be there. You have to show up. Some of you know where I'm going already. <laughs> you can't be faithful unless you show up when and where you're supposed to be. Amen. He promised us that he would never leave us or forsake us, that he would always be there. He made that promise to us. Uh, and remember, you can never be faithful unless you're where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there. You can't be a good parent if you're not there. Some of these people that claim to be fathers and never show up, they're really not fathers. Why? Ain't there. Got to be there before you become a father. And then you have to be there as a father before you can become faithful. You have to be faithful at being there as a father. Uh, you can't be a good spouse if you're not there. You can't be a good employee if you're not there. You can't be a good church partner if you're not there and like I said don't look surprised you knew it was coming I'm gonna meddle a little bit more <laughs> I'm gonna make some people mad is that okay I don't know what your goals are for life what your aspirations are if you have any at all but I can tell you this you're not going to reach any of your goals unless you're faithful in doing whatever it is that you want to achieve. If you're hit and miss, you start off good and then you just drop off. or you know. And a lot of people say, well, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And that's true only to a sense because everything in between starting and finishing is just as important. Because that determines how well you're going to finish and how soon you're going to finish. And what you learn along the way. So, yeah, it's important how you start. It's important what's in the middle, and it's important when you fin how you finish. But you take our church, for example. Faithfulness begins with you being here, just like it would with you being at work. You know, you have to be faithful at work, so you have to be there before you can be faithful. You can't be faithful if you're not there. Now, you, you want me to be honest with you? Okay, you said I could be honest with you. Then I'll tell you, as a whole, we, I'll put myself in here, we all miss too much church. Now, I don't miss a whole lot. If you know me, I don't miss a whole lot of church. But if I miss it all, it's too much. Amen? And I'll admit there was times when there, I was involved in something I just couldn't overcome in time to come to church. And so I'm not going to say I've never missed church. I have missed church on a rare occasion. Amen. But I'm talking about people just miss too much for just silly reasons. And uh, let's talk about some of them reasons. Now, I'm not talking about the excuse you use or the reason you use for missing church. I'm talking about the real reason that you miss church. 
I told you I'm going to make some people mad. But the reason or the excuse that you use is important, at least to you. But the point I want to make is that I know for a fact that, and I've said this before, it bears repeating, people don't miss work for the same reasons that they will miss church for. And that's wrong on a whole lot of different levels. Amen. Uh, I know for a fact that people will miss church but not miss a sporting event for the same reason they miss church. They won't miss a family gathering for the same. They won't miss a family picnic, a fishing trip, or anything else for the same reason they'll miss church. And I'm not saying you don't go on family gatherings, and sometimes they're on a Sunday. I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I believe that family is that important that, you know, you should put the family before you put church attendance. But I wouldn't, uh, personally, I don't do that on a regular basis. My family knows, and you could ask them, if they want me to be at a family event, it can't be on a Sunday. Uh, that's normal conditions. But, you know, a family reunion or something, yeah. I took a weekend. Brother Daryl took care of the church, and we went to a family reunion. But these are rare occasions. That was the first family reunion I went to in 10 years. So I'm talking about people that do it on a regular basis. And uh, like I said, the reason or excuse you use is important. But you have to ask yourself, would this be a good reason for me to give to the Lord? What he think is important. Uh, if you miss church for a headache and you would miss work for the same reason, then I'm not talking to you. Because at least you're consistent. You'll be jobless pretty soon, but you'll be consistent. Amen. Because your employer ain't going to put up with it. And I know for a fact there's some people that... Never miss work, never miss a sporting event, never miss a family gathering or a gathering with friends for the same reasons they miss church, and that's what's wrong about the whole thing. And I'm going to point out the main reason that it's so wrong. And I don't want you to think, uh, I know you don't think I have any business going there, but we're still talking about faithfulness, right? And this is a really important part about faithfulness, so I'm going to have to go a little further. And besides, you're already mad anyway, so it won't make any difference. What could it hurt? Again, I'm not saying you should never miss church for illness, but it shouldn't be for sniffles or a headache. I had a boss at UPS, and he would tell me, Brunzo, if you ever call in sick, you better have hoses and tubes coming out of your body. Right. Amen. He said, that's the only way I'll excuse you from being absent from work. And I took that to heart. I applied that to everything in life. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, you know, you might be a little uncomfortable coming to church with a hangover, but... <laughs> But I can promise you this, it won't kill you. Amen. You might have to push a little harder, but you can make it. <laughs> you know that old saying, whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger? I don't really believe that saying. I believe that if it can outrun you, it will kill you. And the only reason you're still alive is because you ran faster. <laughs> but anyway, you might find out that pushing through in an hour or two, because you push through, that headache will be gone. Those sniffles will be gone. And you'll feel fine. But if you don't push through, you're going to suffer with that all the rest of the day. And then you're going to get up the next morning with the same sniffles and headache or whatever that kept you out of church, and you're going to drag yourself to work. And work all day. But you wouldn't do it for a couple hours to come to church. I got a problem with that. I'm sorry. I know it's uncomfortable, inconvenient. It might even be a sacrifice at times, but those are still not good reasons to miss church. You can never be an overcomer if you don't overcome some things. 
And you're going to have things to overcome in life. And besides that, uh, what kind of message are you sending your children when you tell them it's okay to miss church? They'll think it's okay to miss work. They'll think it's okay to miss school. Why? Not because they do what you say, because they do what you do. Now, here's what's most important, and this is what bothers me the most, and then I'll get off this thing. I'm almost done. You're not willing to say no to your flesh, but you're willing to say no to God. You're not willing to say no to a headache, but you're willing to say no to God. You're not willing to say no to your children's coach, but you're willing to say no to God. Do you see the problem I have with this? I would rather say no to them and yes to God because they don't give a flying flip about you. They don't care about your spiritual life, your physical life, or anything else. All they care about is their agenda and what they want to get done. And uh, sorry, I have a hard time understanding why people do that. Amen. Why isn't your position with God more important than your position with all these other people and all these other things? Why are you intimidated by them, but you won't be intimidated by what God thinks? I say, let God be true, every man a liar. I would rather offend you and please God than the other way around every time, every time. And, you know, I tell people I had three careers in life. I had 20 years with UPS, 20 years with Ford, and 23 years as a pastor. And of course, Ford and pastors overlap some, but I know what it's like to work and run a church. I know what it's like. I've been there. I've done that. And, and, and I'm telling you now, I won't say I never worked a Sunday, but when I got the job, I told my boss, I said, I will work anytime you need me except Wednesday nights and Sunday morning. I never told him I can't work Sundays or I can't work Wednesdays. But I could work up till 5 o'clock on a Wednesday, and then I'm leaving. And I can come in. I could work any time before 6 in the morning on a Sunday night. Uh, or I can come, I can work any time after 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. But that time in between, I will not be here. And for 20-something years, he never asked me. He never violated that. There was a couple times where I had to in a pinch, but I did it as a favor to him. Uh, but you can't be so rigid because you won't even get a job. You tell your boss, I ain't going to be here Wednesdays or Sundays, you know. Tell him, I can work Wednesdays, I can work Sundays, but I like to go to church on Wednesday night, you know. And set the boundaries. And then when they test you or they just put you on the schedule for Wednesday night or Sunday morning, they're testing you. The devil's testing you to see if you mean what you say, to see if you'll really stand up and say, nope, I told you when I started, I ain't working during church time. And I'm telling you, they will respect that. But most people won't do that. They won't stand up for God and say, nope, my commitment to God is greater than my commitment to you. Amen. I mean, what if you needed God and he said, sorry, got to work today. Running a big universe, you know. Ain't got time. Sorry, I didn't get much sleep last night. I had to realign a couple planets. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that important deadline of yours. I overslept. Oh, that emergency you're going to have tomorrow? Sorry, but I got up. <laughs> sounds so silly. I'm trying to be serious, but it's so silly. It's funny. I got other obligations. <laughs> You're on your own. I ain't going to be there. God would never do that. You would never hear God say anything like that. Why? Because he said, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will always be there for you. Always. I'm trustworthy. I'm worthy of trust. I'm reliable. You can count on me. I will be there when and where you need me to be there. Can you say that for God? I mean, we want him to do all these things for us, but when it comes to us doing those things for him, we have reservations. It's wrong. It's just not right. What if God was late <laughs> at the Red Sea? What if he didn't show up in that fiery furnace with the four Hebrew children? 
What if he didn't show up in the lion's den with Daniel? You see what I'm saying? We want him to be there for us, but we don't want to be there for him unless it's convenient, comfortable, and uh, pleases our flesh. Then we'll be there. Say he's reliable. He's trustworthy. You can count on him. He'll be there when and where you need him. Amen. Let's pray before I get in trouble. Hallelujah. Father, we just love you so much. I know sometimes the word hurts, but we need it. I know it's for our own good. And I know every time we go through something, it's for a reason. And even when we cause that thing in our life, you're still there. You still show up. You still bail us out. We can still count on you. You're still trustworthy. You're still reliable. And you always show up in time. You're never late. Never, never, never late. You're always there and you're always on time. And we appreciate that. And that was my whole intention this morning, Lord, is to point that out. That you have entrusted us all with responsibilities in the kingdom of God. This is not a place for entertainment. We're not spectators. We come here to learn your word. We come here to grow in the things of the spirit. And we come here to learn how to be a good witness and how to enhance and grow the kingdom of God. So if we've been lax here to four, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. And we ask you, God, to show us those responsibilities that you want us to have. Give us the talents, the opportunities, the resources, the, the, the wherewithal, and the things that we need to know to be an asset to the kingdom of God and not a deficit. We thank you and praise you that you love us so much that you always, always, always are there for us. And we'd like to be able to say the same of us towards you. So, Lord, give us our assignments. Show us what you'd have us to do. And help us to remember, God, there's no bigger little jobs with you. It doesn't matter what the job is, how big it is, how much responsibility it is. You're only going to measure us for faithfulness. Not how much we accomplish or how well we accomplish it, but how faithful we were in doing it. So we thank you and we praise you for it. Give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, Facebook family, thank you for joining us today. If you think it was worthwhile, go ahead and hit that share button. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. God bless you. We'll see you next week. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.